and welcome to The Culture Bunker, your pop culture podcast. I'm Yelena Sofronievich. And I'm Alex Andrew. This week is a little bit special because we are joined by Sean and Andrew from Glastonbury. So you will be treated to the entire team. And keeping it strictly music, we went along to see Baz Luhrmann's new biopic, Elvis, with our special guest, Linda Marek. Could we not help falling in love with it? Or did we get the GI blues? Staying with the festival theme, Yelena goes to the Margate Dreamland Leisure Festival with her producer Jade. Was the roller coaster more highs than lows? All this and more on today's Culture Bunker. Hello, Yelena. Nice to have you to myself. (laughs) (laughs) You've been uh, crisscrossing the country recently, haven't you? Not just for music gigs. Tell all. No, I was in Oxford a few weekends ago to see the Ruth Asawa Citizen of the Universe exhibition. Now, stay with me on this one because I've gone on a bit of a hype recently of exploring Japanese-American women artists who use art to grapple with their trauma. And um, there are many similarities between Ruth Asawa and her probably much better known counterpart, Yayoi Kusama. But Ruth is just a fascinating woman. She was an American modernist sculptor who's best known for her very intricate wire sculptures. And they're just so fascinating because she spent all of her life living in San Francisco and she was actually interned there during the Second World War. And she used these wires to kind of embody her only what she called tolerable pain but her forms are almost like molecular biology and then I went away and did a bit of reading and it turns out that she was using all these scientific forms to counter the racism of the second world war and use them to boil it down to the proof of genetic equality but having said I think I've seen I've seen a a few bits at the Guggenheim maybe do they look like sort of do they look like sort of very intricate long lampshades? Yes, exactly. Think of like the right, IKEA right, lampshade right, yeah. du jour. What really permeates throughout the exhibition is there's so much joy and you see all of her different forms of work and how experimental she is. When she was at Black Mountain College, she was using the laundry stamps to make these amazing prints, which then became wallpaper and cushion covers. And she used origami to make performance dance costumes and it's just incredible so if you have the opportunity to go down to Oxford the exhibition is still on until the middle of August I believe the 21st of August so it's well well worth your time for a a free exhibition somewhere that isn't London. Sounds fascinating. And you on the other hand I understand have been sampling the delights of the new Paramount Plus streaming service found anything especially (laughs) exciting? Well, you know me and streaming services, I'm on it. (laughs) So yeah, I've been trying out Paramount Plus. I have to say it's a little bit glitchy. I mean, okay, it's very new. The catalogue is not amazing, considering what a massive catalogue the Paramount family of companies have. Mm. But I guess that's because they're still getting out of contract with Netflix, with Amazon, with other streaming people. So as more and more of their stuff runs out of the the sort of leasing arrangements that they've got it on now, they will bring it back on. But most excitingly for me as a as a Trekkie, there's a new Star Trek on there called Strange New Worlds. Uh, I watched the first couple of episodes last night and I absolutely loved it. It's basically 
if listeners are familiar with Star Trek Discovery, then there was a sort of side plot line in there about Christopher Pike, who Trekkies will know is the original captain of the Enterprise. He he was actually the captain in the pilot of the original series, but because he didn't test particularly well with audiences, they killed him off and made uh, James T. Kirk captain. So Christopher Pike comes back in Discovery as a sort of sideline for a few episodes, having traveled from the past. And that went so well that they've created a whole spin-off series for Captain Pike and his crew. So we are talking here about the decade before the original series. So we're talking about the events that lead up to his death and James T. Kirk taking over. Um, so it's, I, I, I thought it was immense fun. And now it's time to take listeners to the very first report by Andrew and Sean from day one of Glastonbury, or possibly from a train stuck somewhere outside Froome. Those are the joys of train strikes. Let's have a listen. So it's Friday night, and this is Andrew, and this is Sean. Hello, Sean. Hello, Andrew. And we're backstage by the park, as you can probably hear by the distant booming yeah. of, who is it? We've just missed Strikes Leading. We've, we've missed Arno Parks, and we're just before St. Etienne. Just before St. Etienne. So we're running down the hill to see St. Etienne. <laughs> yeah. It is a slightly misty, slightly vaguely kind of low cloud type of day, but it's been quite a lovely day, hasn't it? Sean, how's your vibe so far of the Glastonbury Pilton Pop Festival 2022? <laughs> well, it hasn't got less popular, is my no, it vibe. certainly hasn't. <laughs> the idea that, well, we'll put Wet Leg on a small stage, up, 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 you know, on up, the, up the hill. hill backwards. <laughs> yeah. It'll be all right. Yeah, absolutely. Running up that hill, indeed we were. Um, wet Leg, if they had been in a venue, would have sold out four times over. We couldn't yeah. move. It was Wet Ramo. Leg, and that was the first band I saw of the festival. Okay, all yeah. right. What well, do you think of them, Andrew? I thought they were pretty good. I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. it. The little tiny stick figures of Wet Leg, I could see on <laughs> yes. the horizon. I quite enjoyed The first thing I saw... Oh, the, yes, tell me. The first thing I saw at the Glassby Festival moved me to my core because it was a video message from President Zelensky saying before anybody came on saying this is the message to you i mean i'm obviously paraphrasing here uh, but uh, glastonbury is the greatest expression of freedom that there is and we want to be able to have our freedom mm. and so please help us spread the word talk about us talk to your representatives talk to your mps keep us in the news and there were huge cheers and for a festival that has often been very closely associated with stop the war i.e. stop literally any war yeah. i thought that was actually quite a big deal mm. uh, that that uh you know much as i love glastonbury mm. on the political side it can be a little bit come by our hey let's go to the mm -hmm. talking stage rather than the the reality of politics and this felt like a big change not only that they would invite him to, to leave this message but that it would that it would get such a fantastic reception there were cheers there was, there was cheers and tears yeah and i think people really really got it so that for me you know remembering that this was for years the glastonbury cnd festival well i was going to say i think the most asked question of anything is how has glastonbury changed it's so much bigger but has it really changed is people what people are asking each other and the fact that the cnd greenpeace water aid and oxfam message amongst other charities is so strong yes and that the charity giving is so strong yes the core of the festival still seems really real so the bigger it gets and almost you know you get so lost within this stuff it just still seems like 
the ethos is there, which most festivals have kind of lost by this point. And that's yeah. so amazing. And that's kind of what keeps you right, like really on side with yeah. this festival that sometimes can feel like it's got, to, got well, too big. It's interesting that the um, the stuff that used to be, ah, oh, those crazy hippies with their use less plastic <laughs> yeah. and their stop burning stuff yeah. is now absolutely front center yeah. and, and the absolutely mainstream of, of mm. politics right now mm. so Glastonbury feels like it obviously Glastonbury set an agenda um, but it's interesting that that is still here uh, and that, that but, but the other sort of political consciousnesses are coming in I wasn't at it but a, a mini Raman of, of oh god what now oh, yeah. was on the left field and apparently she, she's a great hit because she's fantastic but there was an element of uh you know stop nato's war there mm. which apparently was not popular at all right people have, have i mean this is i'm getting this second and third hand but people really do realize that you can't just have a simplistic um war is bad boy george war is stupid and people yeah. are stupid <laughs> thing yeah that, that, that's yeah. A, a real thing has occurred in ukraine that can't just be wished away yeah. and uh, I, I've been, you know, really. I mean, there's a whole lot of Ukraine flags here, um, True, yeah. and I know it's easy to put a flag up, but uh, you would not have seen flags saying "Let's keep fighting in Iraq," would you? Yeah, so indeed. I think I think there's some, you know, an element in the consciousness has, has changed. Well, let's talk about the bounce because this is the, <laughs> the culture bunker. The yes. first band I saw was the Libertines. Oh no! <laughs> oh well, never mind. So three, Libertines three, are on, weren't they? Uh, at Eleven o'clock on Friday morning. Yeah, three yeah. three years oh. of no Glastonbury at the start with the Libertines. Oh well, never what mind. What do you think? Uh, it's nice if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> anyway, we all. Who else did we see? Well, we also went up into the Green Futures Field yes. and saw Nick Turner's Hawkwind Jam and session. And how was I did not see. That. Wildly was cosmic, that about six people yeah. in a tent, freaking out. Yeah. That, that's that you want the true spirit of the festival. Yeah, yeah. This is the truth. But in terms of actual band bounds, mm. uh, we all saw uh, Confidence Man. Yes, recently. and Confidence Man actually blew everyone away that I know who yes. saw them. Oddly, Wet Legs seem to have more people watching them. Confidence Man have more people talking about them. Going, have yeah, you yeah, seen yeah. it? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yeah. Wet they were a, amazing. Wet, yeah. wet Leg was fun, but Confidence Man was a bad absolute thing. Confidence Man was that thing of when dance music is revolutionary. Yes. And you get that idea because yes. obviously we're only on Friday. We haven't had you know the raves of the night and when yes. you just feel that music actually can set you free for three man. days yes. man yes. yeah so they really did that thing of just getting the audience going and going, yeah. yeah for listeners who don't know who confidence man are they are an australian four piece of whom two of them hide in the background because we think they might be about 60. yeah but the other two giant planet and <laughs> what's his do name not hide in the background they choose shapes yeah. they hop around they're a costume and they changes. were absolutely fantastic so there were three costume changes yes. weren't there and there was a fake they, fist fight yeah Yes, with blood. Just, and they do stupid dancing. Yes. You know, you know, it's it's not something that's highly choreographed. They were really, really good and they just brought nineties rave back. What I love about Janet Planet is what I love about Janet Planet, I've got yeah. numerous things I love about yeah. Janet Planet. One of the things is she'll she'll do properly choreographed shapes. Mm. She'll mm. do like, look at me, I'm yeah. a dancer. Yeah. And then she'll do something so wildly and obviously stupid that it undermines everything she's just done, but she makes you like it even more. Bird dance. I Yay! know, yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. then the pair of them go off and they come on and she's wearing some kind of mm. spiky Christmas tree dress with conical breasts on it. <laughs> which was Which good. was pretty yeah. damn good, I thought. So we've got the big hitters, haven't we? We've got Paul McCartney, Billie Eilish, and we've got Pet Shop Boys and or Kendrick Lamar. Yes, yeah. So the stuff to come. Yeah. Does Glastonbury? I'm asking you now, Andrew. Does Glastonbury need these big hitters? Is it really important yeah, it they get the? Yeah, it does because it's because Glastonbury is the grand shop window of pop yeah. culture, and it's got to have everybody on. Uh, yeah, it's a, and also it's a place where um, 
people who would not ordinarily go and see Paul McCartney will go and see Paul. Like I was in the Cornish Bar last night. Yeah. The Cornish which, Bar. The Cornish Bar, That's which Cornish is a, bar. a bar that sells Cornish beer. Yeah. And DJ was playing. This is he'd worked on this a month. Clearly, it was a Beatles drum and bass set where he'd stripped the vocals off eight days a week, off you know, Hey Jude, okay. off all kinds, yeah. and put them to Jump Up Jungle, and it was all working fantastically. Yeah. And the people who are here for Jump Up Jungle obviously know the Beatles because everybody knows the Beatles because you, mm. it comes to you as a child you never you never know the first yeah, yeah. time you hear the Beatles it's just there yeah. it's always there it's like the Bible yeah, it's like nursery rhymes I always yeah, yeah, like yeah, something rhymes. part of your part DNA. of the fabric of your mind so yeah. we're all you know drum and bassing it yeah. up to you know she loves you yeah and paperback writing and you know paperback writing bloody brilliant well i'm very sad i missed that there you go yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's so just one little thing in one little bar in amongst the hundreds of bars of this place so you know, to your question does glastonbury need these big hits I think, I think i think the big hitters need glastonbury yeah. i think this is this is the world cup finals of pop and if right. you qualify, you've got yeah. to turn up and you've got to give it 110%. Yeah. And Macker, I think uh, tomorrow night, and we'll be recording again, we'll do a little yeah. bit of a, yeah. you know, later in the show, you'll hear our, our, our take on Macker. But um, Macker's not soft and he will understand that what you've got to do is you've got to put together a set that represents you, not just people who love you, but people for whom you're a fringe experience. By the way, also, people we run into on the first day, yeah. Danny Harrison, yes. George's son. Yeah. Uh, we had a nice chat about his jacket. He didn't really want to talk about the Beatles as well as we could tell. We had a lovely jacket on. I imagine on. he didn't. Yeah. We yeah. ran into Glenn Tilbrook of Squeeze. Oh, yes, Squeeze. yes, that's right. He was right. just wandering around yeah. taking pictures. Why and not? What a lovely chap he was. Mm. And also this morning when I got up, um, queuing for oat cakes was Tilda Swinton. Absolutely. She was talking to her husband. Yes. <laughs> who is very, very handsome. Is it <laughs> Yeah, and I just thought, well, get you. That's what you need to do, is you have to talk about when your energies get low, what you're going to do. Absolutely. Well, yeah. as, uh, Tilda Swinton, Staffordshire Oak Cakes <laughs> will be performing at the John Peel stage <laughs> at four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Of course they will. Yeah. Um, I was interested to see that self-esteem's not on till Saturday, but I'm seeing self-esteem flags. So self-esteem, tell, tell us why self-esteem is, is uh, such a thing. I think she's just going to, I think she's going to be one of those things. If she does it right, She's going to be one of the Glastonbury performances yes. of this weekend. Um, Glastonbury have been really amazing this year in doing 50% female artists. Um, have they actually like, hit the 50-50? I believe they have, okay. yeah, with male, which most ones don't do, most festivals don't do. Um, and there's an idea that when we watch Confidence Man and we watch Wet Leg, and we'll be watching St Etienne in a minute, um, amongst others, there is really hashtag strong woman stuff going on. Yeah. And I know that sounds really cliched, but actually loads and loads of really, really good female voices and good yeah. female experience is now in pop music and in alternative music. And I I just have a feeling she's going to nail it. Okay. She's going to be the, that voice of the festival. Blastery is the only time when you talk about pop music that you talk about it as if it's like the Grand National or, <laughs> yeah, or the European Cup Finals, you know, it's like Champions League. Yeah. Yeah, who's in yeah, the yeah, group yeah. of death? Yeah. Oh no, the Libertines. You know but that. I, yeah, I really do think that, that that's going to be the, yes, I was there, I saw self-esteem in Blastery. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we've been doing some wandering over the hills mm. and, uh, you know, everything is, you know, as as was. And I was expecting to have a major kind of sort of, uh, you know, shock moment because mm. obviously three years since I've yeah. been here. And I've been to, coming to Glastonbury since 1987 and it, it is without question my favourite thing mm. on the planet. Mm. Right. Humans notwithstanding. <laughs> but actually, excluding <laughs> it does surprise humans me. Well. I do want to say, 
you you do love robots. I still get surprised that you love Glastonbury as and, well. I, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, it's what I get down with my real <laughs> self. Yeah. Um, I was expecting to have a kind of a, a bit of a sort of shock of uh, shock of recognition, but it wasn't. It was like just walking into a place that you know. Yeah. and I've always known well it's a bit like I mean I've now spent months of my life here yeah. and it's just you know one thing that you lose is the surprise of of, of believing that the place is infinite and seems to go on forever yeah. you kind of start to realise where everything is and, and then it naturally becomes smaller but you know for all that you know the, the just the, the, the lovely relaxing feeling of like I'm back now mm. I'm back where I I've got back to where I once belonged. <laughs> now you've not yeah. been here in how long? Twenty-two years. Twenty-two years. Yeah. The last time you yeah. came was two thousand. Yeah, David exactly. Bowie, the Pet Shop Boys year. Yeah. A very good year. Yeah. He's on this year. The Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> time has become. Yeah, a loop. life is yeah. a circle. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it's pretty much the same. I yeah. mean, really, not much has changed. I was worried. Except the price of everything has gone up. Yeah, but nine quid there. for your check kedgery. Well, yeah, but you, as you know, sometimes we bring our own food yes. in. Yes. I had worried that it was going to go all Aintree or Henley and there'd be a lot of... Aintree? Aintree. Someone told me... Cause no, someone, if it went Aintree, that'd be brilliant. Someone WhatsApp me and went, it's gone really Aintree now. Um, in the sense there's going to be corporate stuff backstage and there's going to be some sort of Moet stall that we can't get into or something like that. It's not like that at all. I, I, I mean, Tilda Swinton not standing. Yeah. It's just really normal. It's just yeah. a load of people yeah, covered in mud, and that's what's so nice about yeah. it. And I haven't spotted a supermodel. I don't want to. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if the listeners can hear. There appears to be some kind of genial fist fight going on over the hedge. Absolutely. But and, hey, and, festival yeah. times. <laughs> that is yeah. Festival times. Um, yeah. I'm just uh, the, the contrast between Aintree and Henley is a vast one. I'd love that. <laughs> it cost me when Aintree, because yeah. I know what Aintree is like okay, at chucking okay. out time. People crawling that's along my the road. Yeah. <laughs> People crawling along yeah. the road, not able to hang onto the floor. <laughs> right. That's Aintree for you. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, what? So you're looking forward to self-esteem. Obviously, I'm the best job boys as always I am. Yes. Um, Kendrick Lamar, I want to see. Yeah. Um, massively want to see because he's clashing with the Shop Boys. So saying, yeah, of course I'm going to go and see Kendrick Lamar because yeah. that's album of the year. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, Shop Boys are clashing with Bicep, which is kind of annoying. I know, I know, I Max know. Max Davis. I want to ask you, Andrew, yes. what amazing T-shirts have you seen? Because T-shirts what? are the barometer. We've, seen, know what, we've seen certain wonderful T-shirts. <laughs> one genuinely disturbing one, which I'll tell you about in a minute, but a, yeah. guy, a guy just strolled past us in it, uh, and it was the Pizza Express logo, but he changed Pizza Express to say Prince Andrew. <laughs> and I thought, I had to take a picture of this as a story. Yeah. There's a very friendly young lady next to us in a T-shirt that had a lovely, a pink T-shirt with a big heart, and in... Um, you know the kind of letter, uh, the typeface from a 1970s children's book. I think oh, it's right, called yeah. Double Dick or something. It's kind of a very blobby and, and yeah. round and comforting. It said, "I'm scum." Like, that's a pretty oh, good wow. T-shirt. I'm scum yeah. in a big yeah. one, in a big white heart. That said, and this is very nice. We were in the Stone Circle, and a woman walked past us in a T-shirt. It was a khaki-coloured T-shirt, and the slogan was "Our bite macked fry." And I was genuinely aghast because. How in the hell can you not know where that came from? How in the hell can you put it on a t-shirt? How in the hell can you come to the Glastonbury Festival? And I think it's a hard sell. It's a isn't hard it? sell. Yeah. And there's always been a bit of kind of there's always been a bit of political weirdness yes. here, a bit of oddness and strange points of view. But I, I've never seen anything like that. Mm. And all of us looked at each other like, did you just see that? Mm. Have I have I am I hallucinating? Did you see that t-shirt? So. And I, I was so gobsmacked, I didn't even have it in me to chase after it. What the hell are you wearing? But I think that's just one thing. I mean, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, almost everybody mm. is in great shape. Mm. 
Even the guy whose uh, banner over his tent is a picture of uh, Kim Jong-il with <laughs> yes. live, laugh, love on it. Someone call that bad taste, I don't know. And that should be a t-shirt. That should obviously. be a t-shirt. Should we do the special mention? Spe oh, come on. Special mention. <laughs> Listen up. This is a special mention, Tim, if you are listening. Listen to Tim. Listen to the podcast, Tim. Yeah, I was walking down one of the roads. I didn't know where I was. I had so much luggage and I was on my own. And listener Tim saved me, who said, Sean, I listened to the podcast. What are you doing? You look lost. And listener Tim spent a whole hour helping me get to where I wanted to be, which I didn't know because none of the stewards knew. And so we do a very, very special hour. Did he sort of Sherpa you? Yeah, he, he did. He was in beyond the call of duty. I owe him several pints, which I'll yeah. probably now obviously chase up. Um, but listener Tim, thank you so, so very much because he carried off my stuff as well and made sure that I was found. God bless him. Yeah, God listen bless to him. Tim. Yeah, Here there is an angel out there. There's there must Tim. be an angel yeah. playing with my <laughs> luggage. Uh, well done, listener yes. Tim. Thank you. All right, so it's Friday. We've got another couple of days yes. of this. Uh, uh, we'll have. We think we look bad now. Yeah, <laughs> we we'll look bad. They, in a they don't know what they, they'd like to just imagine it. <laughs> yeah, but, but like basically like, like, like a pair of sodden elves. Yes. Uh, the rain has now started to come down. Yeah. Here comes the rain yeah. again. Ali Lennox too. Yeah. Uh, so why does it always rain on us? Why does it always? Why does it always? Why do we always rave on E? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll hand you back to the studio, and we'll be back to you later in the show, later in time. Yes. When God knows. When we look happen. older and wetter. But wiser, possibly. Yeah. Who knows. Elvis, as the name cunningly suggests, is Baz Luhrmann's biopic on the life of Elvis Presley, played by newcomer Austin Butler. It is a tale told primarily from the point of view of his Bengali-like manager, Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, very much in child-catcher mode. Here's a little taste. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come? knocking at your door. He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. We went to see it with our good friend and Culture Bunker regular, Linda Marrick, who joins us in the studio. Hello, Linda. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? Nice to have you. Now, Linda, this is, I think, it's fair to say, less a biopic and more a Buzz Lerman film, right? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, takes yeah. quite a few liberties with the facts because yeah. he's more interested in in the spectacle. Yes, but does yes. that, that does that serve the story of a of a man who became so much larger than life? He was both a musician and spectacle. I think it, this was the only way this film could have been made, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, it doesn't really deal with the things that make him look bad because obviously the the estate, the Presley estate, agreed to the film. So you have to like kind of really walk on eggshells around that, some of the more, shall we say, icky things. But at the yeah. same time, I think I really actually, I think this is the best way to make this film because he was such an extraordinary character, such a sort of an ethereal character that you had to make it make the film look like a, a fairy tale almost, if you know what I mean. Mm, no, 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 I know, I know exactly what you mean. It's It's like everything... From the from really when he was a kid, everything yeah. is driving towards those 
incredible, gaudy Las Vegas shows in a way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Elvis's career spans many decades and hundreds of songs, obviously, and and films that attempt to cover such epic spans mm. um, can occasionally become little more than sort of back catalogue videos. Mm. There, there have been a few recently that I thought that. I thought you're just inventing reasons to sort of touch on the most famous songs. How How was this one structured? I I th- I mean I agree with you on that point, but I think there are some films that were really well done, like Rocket Man. I thought that was brilliantly done, the Elton John story. Mm, I thought mm. again, it had the same kind of air, same kind of. You couldn't really tell a straightforward story. You had to tell a story through the music, and I think that's the only way it works. The only way to get the fans in. Well, how does he? How does Lerman structure the film while av- avoiding like? packing it with every single song Elvis ever sung, if you know Well, what I mean. yeah, yeah. He more or less does, doesn't he, though? Even if it's all, some of them are just snippets. Uh, he does avoid it by sort of uh, jumping all over the place. It's not very well structured, the film, is it? But at the same time, it's very, very pleasing because there isn't, you could think, you couldn't think of a, a, a Elvis Presley number that, that isn't really there, that isn't there. And I, I think every sort of most memorable part of his career is represented in that. And I, I kind of like that. I really like that. I think mm. I'm not entirely sure what people will make of it because of mostly because of the way it's been marketed, because it is has been marketed as uh, uh, just a straightforward um, biopic, but it it isn't a straightforward biopic. Mm, it mm. is beautifully shot, and I I think um, yeah, I really loved it. I have to say, um, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are things within it that I are very sort of that are done very. Um, awkwardly and very sort of, uh, you know, not quite like the, the stuff with the musical appropriation for black black uh, music appropriation and all that stuff. I think that's not dealt with properly. But at the same time, I, I think if that is the only thing I have against it, then I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sort of ignore that bit. Yeah. Alex, we were both quite apprehensive about watching this because we like Elvis, but we're not proper fans of his music. What did you make of it? I, I have to say I was apprehensive going to see it, mainly because I think the trailers do the film enormous yeah. injustice. Yep. Actually. They're quite they're quite bland and dead and they look like yeah. they could be cut from every other biopic ever made about a singer. Mm. And the film actually is not that at all. It mm. it is basically Moulin Rouge too. That's what it felt yeah. like to me. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a glitter ball exploding in your face, literally from the first. Oh, second Alex, I'm so happy you it. said that. I am so happy that you said that because I just I was I I had this worry that people might think it's a bit too Lermanish, but you know, well, like you know, you ha- you but, know what you get. But the thing is, I it. like Lerman. Yeah. The, yeah. the thing is, I like Lerman. So so I, what I would say is, yeah. people who look at the that trailer and go to see a, a sort of dramatic biopic yeah. may be disappointed. People who love Lerman and go mm. to see a Baz Lerman film will be delighted. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's my... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Biopics live and die by their central performance. So what did you think of Butler's? So I, I think it's... <laughs> I mean, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? You wouldn't... You wouldn't 
wish it on someone as an acting challenge. <laughs> um, but I think he does an incredible job. And what's interesting yeah. is that he's a really young, slight thing, but it's actually when he's playing the older, more burdened, more bulky Elvis that I thought he really came into his own. First of all, the first thing to say is that he's got the speaking voice absolutely mm. bang on, and that's a big, big, big thing for a biography film. Um, the second thing to say is that he sings all the songs. Now, for young Elvis, he sings all the songs unaided by electronic enhancement, as it were. Mm. As Elvis gets older, they blend his voice with the older Elvis voice, because I guess... It's you know it's an impossible task for a twenty-one year old to sound like a forty-five year old, if you mm. know what I mean. So as he gets older, they blend Elvis's voice, and he sounds more and more like Elvis. And I thought that was actually quite a good feature of the thing. I I I just thought he had poise, and he had presence, and he had gravity, and he had a lot going behind the eyes that with someone else in the part the the movie might feel a lot more superficial yeah. than with him, actually. I thought he was fantastic. I know it's very early to start to start to talking about award season and everything. Oh, he'll I win just, it, he'll uh, win it. Genuinely, if he doesn't get a nomination for the Oscars, then I, I don't know what I'm talking about, and you should never invite <laughs> me on the show again. I think he is fantastic. He is absolutely... You know, Lerman auditioned um, Harry Styles, who I absolutely adore, who is fantastic, uh, uh, you know, as a singer and as a, a performer, as a, a person, really. But I don't think anyone could have done better than Austin Butler. I, I just, I think this this role he was born to play, and he was fantastic. He doesn't look terribly like Elvis, but that doesn't matter because he doesn't even. The, he's not like a copycat, and he's not. He doesn't look like a sort of someone doing an Elvis impersonation. Impersonation, and I think that's really mm, important. Mm. I think that's really yeah. really important uh, that he doesn't sort of fall into to mimicking. He embodies it, and I just think. I, I also think the way. Um, sorry. Uh, to, to go on too much. Uh, I, I think also the way Bas Lerman films him is very interesting. There's so many close-ups and the sweat on his face and the sort of the hip wiggling and the sort of... It's, the, the, it's heavily yeah, erotic, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's heavily, heavily yeah. erotic. Yeah, it's absolutely um, it, gorgeous. I, I want to know what you thought, Yelena, because you have a, a special family connection. You've you've grown up with his music and his legend around the house. Did did the film live up to it for you? It did in many ways, and it captured all of the fantastical elements of his lifestyle that I think you make allusions to with my family. I mean, my brother once dressed up as Elvis for a primary <laughs> school talent show. My grandmother made him the whole white catsuit affair. And we have very <laughs> loving pictures. My mum's even been to Graceland and she's a very, very big fan. So I know that they're both be very excited to go and see this. I want to come back to what you were saying about Baz Luhrmann, though. I was reading an interview with him where he said that every film of his was inspired by Elvis. Oh, and I, that's lovely. And I agree that I think that this is really the sort of apex of his style, if you will, in the same way as us watching The French Dispatch by Wes Anderson last year. It's very overwhelmingly him. But what mm -hmm. this does so well, I think, is appropriate that carnival location that we see in perhaps the Moulin Rouge and mm -hmm. use it as a kind of 
symbol of the media and celebrity circus that was around Elvis. I think that was so clever. So Tom yeah. Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker almost comes off like Harold Zidler in the in the mm. film. And he talks about wanting to create the greatest show on earth and gaslighting Elvis basically for his ability. Those early scenes where they're at the carnival, where he's guiding his way out of the Hall of Mirrors and they're yeah. going on this Ferris wheel of fortune, which is almost like Evelyn War, decline and fall. It's so, so <laughs> clever. So I really loved those elements of it as well, the sort of freak show that is perpetuated around Elvis. I think that's so clever. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. He he, he placed it firmly in a sort of carnival context. What, what did you think of Tom Hanks? I, I I was in two minds about him because it's a very broad performance. You know, it's, it's, in, it's painted in very primary colours. But then again, you know, the film is so brassy and big mm. um, that I think anything more nuanced might have gotten lost in it. Yeah. And, and I found the duality of his character actually quite interesting in that you know, he was overtly, you know, taking advantage. He was overtly wicked and taking advantage mm. of Elvis. But at no point did I feel myself doubt that he also absolutely loved Elvis. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think that's quite a hard thing to pull off. I think there was perhaps a little bit more nuance. I, I got a bit more nuance than you did, Alex, in that mm. I think that sometimes... Colonel Tom's narrative really seems to dominate it in the early parts of the film, perhaps. But then at other times, we really hear Elvis talking for himself a bit more. And ultimately, yeah. so much of Colonel Tom's dialogue in the film addresses us. He says, you as the audience and how yeah. our own consumption and our love for Elvis, if you will, is complicit in his demise. I think the film really tries to use this as a personal story to tell a wider history about not just yeah. U.S. music, but U.S. consumerism in music. And it made me think of almost what the Lehman trilogy did about U.S. capitalism. Like There's so much throughout this film that's so American. Even the way that they blend the original documentary footage with the film itself to make these pop culture references. There's one bit where there are these music mashups and you have Viva Las Vegas interspersed with Toxic by Britney Spears. Mm. And I just mm. thought that was so clever to comment on how these exploitative contracts of very much still a problem in the music industry now and there's so much that Colonel Tom does to kind of claim this that he was the one to start it all off but the way that that's represented is actually more subtle than you might think but I think that the, the crux of it of it is that he is painted by the film's narrative as an unreliable uh, narrator yeah we know that we can't trust anything he has to say and whatever he says Lerman is showing us exactly the opposite of what the coroner is is uh, is claiming so that we know that he is the villain of the piece, the piece uh, straight away. But I I also wanted to say I I don't I I, I said this elsewhere and I've said it almost feels like a horror movie. Like uh, you know when you try uh, where our yes. um, uh, hero is trying to get out to to, to escape his tormentor mm, mm, and mm. never quite making it. That's how I felt about every time there was thought of him getting on a plane and going abroad, there was something keeping him there. It almost felt like a, a, a um, sort of a horror narrative, a horror sort of um, uh, device. There's a sort of black swan uh, atmosphere to it. You're right. Uh, Linda, one last thing. I, I can't not comment on this. At, at times, Elvis is painted as a sort of 
one man culture transforming mm. civil rights advocate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that hey geography or portraiture, and does it matter? You know, in this kind of film, do you want do you want the historical bits that are inserted in there to be vaguely accurate, or does it not matter? I think it's very important to sort of make a point that he he could have made loads of comments. He could have come out very early on, and because he grew up in Memphis, he could have come out very early on and talked about civil rights, the first civil rights movement. He never did. He was surrounded by black black musicians who he was great friends with and the people would say yes uh, the colonel wouldn't let him speak and told him to never talk about uh, religion or or politics but at the same time he was his own man and even when he was surrounded by all those hippies at the end of the 60s he could have sort of made more of an effort to say things you know but he never really mm. did so i i think there's a, a clumsy effort to sort of uh, sugarcoat or sort of whitewash that part of him, which I don't think works in the film, but at the same time, I I, I don't I think I, I almost feel sorry for him. I almost feel like he wasn't surrounded by the right people to tell him, yes, you can come out and say the the things that you believe. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. And I I just in the end, I just felt very sorry and very sad for mm. for him as a person, really. So that's uh, that's three thumbs up from us, I think, and. Elvis is on general release around the UK from this weekend. Oh, we do like to be beside the seaside. Leisure is an all-new independent festival mixing music and amusement rides at Margate's Dreamland Park. Headlining the day-long affair is Mitski, hot off supporting Harry Styles on tour and ahead of her Glastonbury debut this weekend. So what does it take to set up a seaside festival? Producer Jade Bailey and I are heading east side to catch up with Leisure's organisers from Bird on the Wire and Lineup Stars High School. I'm Clements. And I'm Tim. We um, run Bird on the Wire. We're London promoters, but um, obviously today we're not in London. So we, uh, we run some events around the UK um, occasionally as well. So Leisure's a mix of festival and funfair all set on England's east coast. Why did you pick Dreamland? Why this venue in particular? I guess because it has an inbuilt structure. It's quite close to London, so people can travel easily. Although we've had some issues this weekend. <laughs> uh, generally, it's quite easy to get to from London, which we kind of see kind of a core audience does come from London to these events. And it's really an iconic venue as well. It's right on the beach, which is really nice. You walk out of here and you're, I think, on one of England's beautiful beaches, yeah. sand beaches, so yeah. So this is the first edition of Leisure, and on your website you say that it's run by passionate independent promoters. What made you want to set up a unique festival as a sort of counter, perhaps, to some of the bigger mainstream festivals? Um, I guess it comes from the fact that we are always trying to create events that we enjoy going to. So I think there's, there's, there's a lot of that. Um, I think with this lineup, we really tried to show that you could um, have um, 
really amazing artists on the lineup and really strong headliners that were not necessarily headliners on other regular festivals. Yeah, we always try and champion new music, so emerging acts, kind of what we do with our events and our promotions as well. So you've got Mitski headlining ahead of her Glastonbury debut this weekend. Having seen her in Brixton last month, I can attest, I'm very excited to see her ever so slightly closer to the stage this time. Uh, who else is performing? Who else should we watch out for? We have CMAP, you may be able to hear in the background, is... I think she's great and she's, uh, I think she's going to do really well over the next few years. Uh, Soccer Mummy released their album today. It's worth checking out. Surf Girls, their American band, really like punk and yeah, really good. So practically then, tell us a little bit more about what goes into planning a festival and perhaps why you chose a one-day format for leisure rather than splitting it across a few. Personally, I hate camping. I can't <laughs> do that anymore. So uh, one day is kind of, yeah, perfect for me. And I think you just kind of have a good... People kind of like book their hotels, and especially here. You can just kind of... It's a bit more relaxed. It's like... It makes it very special. You're just coming in, you're just like having this big day out, and then, and then you can do whatever you want for the rest of the weekend. So, yeah. We do, we do like one-day festivals. Mm. Yeah. And how did COVID in particular impact your festival planning? I'm thinking in comparison with your 2019 event here, for instance. First well, we, of all... We had uh, Claro pull out due to COVID, so that was something that got sprung last, last night. Yeah. It was last night. Yeah. And, yeah, as Claire mentioned, we had Surf Coast Plan in London, so we could actually make that replacement happen at the very last moment. It was pretty stressful. Yeah. Uh, but we got them here. So, uh, and also, we just confirmed our artists really late this year because mm-hmm. there, there was so much uncertainty about travelling from um, international travelling. So we actually only announced the festival three months ago, which is a really short... Um, how do you say, run up yeah. Yeah, to the festival? And more widely, do you think that COVID has made uh, not just festival planners, but promoters a bit more conscious of things like environmental considerations? I noticed, for instance, that you're doing a bus share initiative normally to and from London for people wanting to come to Margate. I think, especially as independents, um, having environmental um, policy has been something that we've really been wanting to put together for the last few years and COVID just gave us more time. Those two years gave us more time to actually put it together and really think through what we could do about band riders, about traveling, about all of that. The sort of the ethos for leisure is really to create an inclusive, inspiring and laid back atmosphere in your words. When you were designing the festival, did you have things like access in mind? And I mean that with respect to the musicians, you mentioned smaller bands, but also with respect to festival goers. I'm thinking it's very expensive and it's very difficult to get a ticket to something like Glastonbury, which also I hear is happening this weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely always something that we keep in mind. We are constantly trying to keep prices down. Um, This is something that coming back after COVID has been possibly a little bit more difficult because a lot of providers, like a lot of costs have gone up, which production costs in general, technical costs. Um, But yeah, we're definitely trying to to keep prices as affordable as possible. Especially now we have to worry kind of like people are are kind of saving their money and kind of obviously the state things are at the moment with kind of cost of living crisis, just all kind of people are hearing about. So And also I imagine the impact of Brexit on music and performance too. Um, I know that you're both London-based promoters 
And I kind of get the impression that the city still dominates the British music scene in many respects. But Clarence, so you're French. How do you think that the Paris and London music scenes compare? Oh, I, I haven't lived in Paris for a few <laughs> years, actually, so it would be difficult. Um, I, well, you know, I, I think they're quite, um, they're quite comparable in the sense that there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of, of good things happening in Paris as well. Um, there's always this thing about artists and, and hospitality in the UK versus hospitality in Europe. So, so this is definitely something, as we started promoting shows that was very important yeah. to us was to make sure that artists had um, you know a, a comfortable time and were felt like they were looked after mm. so this is this is something that yeah we took from Europe both because I'm French and because Tim was in bands and played in Europe so we kind of tried to to bring that into into our world you both co-directors in Bird on the Wire and other acts on your roster feature many Culture Bunker favourites. Uh, you've got Yardak, The Magnetic Fields, Japanese Breakfast. We're desperate to take her for a Japanese breakfast, by the way, because oh, yeah. there's a great place around the corner yeah. from us, so <laughs> pointing out. Um, but also acts like Black Country New Road, Porridge Radio, Angel Olsen. Tell us what other festivals you have in the pipeline and where we can catch some of the other acts too. So we have a festival called Visions, which is in East London and it's a multi-venue uh, five venues all indoor we have a few outdoor spaces and a dog show and that's a very kind of like tastemaker festival where you kind of really push new artists and Black Country New Road are he headlining that festival this year uh, with their new six piece I think it's yeah their first, been uh, a first few London things. show so that's uh, something before that's uh, July the 23rd and yeah, we have a few few headline shows that you've mentioned. Yeah, like they're playing playing the forum at the end of the year. Magnetic Fields are playing the Apollo in August, I yep. think, around end of the road festival, where there'll be a lot of great bands to catch as well at the beginning of September. Um, a lot of the acts we book come through Visions Festival as well. So in their early stages, we book more Visions and then kind of look to build them from that. I'm bringing it back to Margate then. I think this is the first music festival I've been to that has an amusement park, a games arcade and a roller disco here to keep us entertained when we're not listening to the music. So as we are in dreamland, I think it's right that I should ask who would be your dream artist or your dream venue to promote? We have been ticking boxes. Uh, <laughs> we have been ticking boxes. We booked uh, Kim Gordon uh, last month, which was amazing. I mean, dream artist, I'm just booked to see Bruce Springsteen next year in Italy, so I'm going to make a travel to see that. And obviously, that would be a dream. I would love to do something with Johnny Greenwood of, of Radiohead. Um, I would love to, I don't know, create some sort of special event around his music. That would be beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you both ever so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Hi, I'm Rory from high school. Yeah, and I'm Scotty from high school. Now, as a band, you've had everything from goth pop dream world to new order for 2021, I'm quoting wow. here, ascribed to you. But how would you both describe the music of high school? Well, they're both very flattering uh, comparisons. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it, to me, it's like a blend of all the bands that our sort of dads forced us to listen to <laughs> back in the day, all the 80s stuff compared with like stuff we grew up in 
the early 2000s listening to Strokes. I mean, I uh, like, like Goth Pop. I reckon yeah, let's just go pop. with that. Yeah, that, that yeah. Goth Pop works, with works goth really pop. well. But yeah, a lot of influence from early 2000s as well, like power poppy sort of stuff and mixed with some 80s and that's it, high school. I love Frosting in particular. It's got okay. echoes of sort of New Order's Age of Consent. Yeah, yeah. I listen to it. So tell me about some of those 80s bands that you were forced to listen to growing up. What's the music that you love? Well, my old man actually grew up in like the sort of St. Kilda uh, post-punk scene. In Melbourne. In Melbourne. Uh, so you're talking, you're kind of uh, Nick Cave, early birthday party, stuff like that. So that was kind of the first sort of stuff that I got properly, you know, listening to and influenced by. Um, but, you know, Joy Division, obviously, Bauhaus, yeah. New Order, um, Cure, massive influence, Smiths. Yeah. Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. I mean, like... It's a good, it's a good era for music. Yeah, you know, like the, trying to bring it back in a palatable kind of way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned that you grew up in Melbourne, Australia. Obviously, you're here now. It's a country we are familiar with in the UK because it was subject to some of the tightest pandemic restrictions. Yeah. Um, and you've been very vocal about how COVID lockdowns have affected your music. So, mm. how did it impact things like band practice? It's funny. It's like every yeah, time yeah. there's like a write-up about us, it's like, oh, they were through the most extensive yeah. lockdown. It was so hard for them. But I think yeah. realistically, it was actually like a real sort of silver lining that came out of us, out of it. It gave us a chance to kind of not be working like a nine-to-five and like sneakily sneak over to each other's houses during lockdowns and like write music. Um, so obviously it was negative in, in a lot of ways, but there were some positives that came out of it as well. Yeah, got a yeah. chance to write and live in a, like a sort of apocalyptic world for a minute and, and yeah, kind yeah. of draw from that. I don't know. We should mention as well that um, Lily is the third member of high school. Yeah, 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 yeah she is. Lily is your sister. Oh, my sister. sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She's watching seeing that. She, yeah. 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 yeah, we couldn't get her here. She just loves it <laughs> too much. So did you guys effectively move in as a trio and use the time to make music together? Or? Um, me, me and Lil were living together and then you, Scotty was kind of like a stone's throw away or whatever. And yeah, just kind of started this COVID baby basically it started with frosting was the first song we wrote and then yeah it kind of just went from there it, it realistically we were kind of like oh this this track's like a bit whatever and then put it out and started to get a bit of traction like over here or whatever and yeah kind of just went from there you know? yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so your debut ep forever at last came out in november 2021 mm-hmm. and it's very dark it's brawling and it has quite a lot of that those sort of themes of uncertainty that yep. I imagine would resound with people just coming out of something like a lockdown. Yep. Tell me a bit about making that EP then and the songs that comprise it. Well, I mean, I guess, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much influence the actual lockdown itself had from the, the songwriting. I mean, it did definitely kind of influence the recording style. We didn't have access at that time to studios and stuff because of lockdown we didn't have access to gear that we wanted to use. So we kind of had to do it in like quite a DIY sort of fashion, mm-hmm. mainly out of my room, Scotty mixing like all the songs. Yeah. So I, I guess that was the, the lockdown aspect of it that you can really hear, I think, is the, the fact that we pretty much couldn't really leave our house and we had to do it as yeah. kind of makeshift as possible, I guess. That was like, yeah. yeah. We did it in our share house um, with our friend Archie. Yeah, yeah. Sh- shout outs to Archie. Yeah, flood, <laughs> flood, flood lights. Flood lights, check them out. Um, but in terms of like... Uh, how like the lockdown affected the album i don't know like just meant we couldn't play shows really that was yeah, like the main yeah. thing and yeah. then 
it meant when we got here, like we could like crack right into it. Pretty unconventional kind of like trajectory mm. high school so far, but yeah, our first show was in London. Oh, amazing! Yeah. yeah. But what were some of the musical and cultural influences that coloured that EP for you? I mean, I guess just kind of what we covered before, but all sorts of stuff. I mean, we draw influences from like, you know, I listen to like a lot of trap music, like yeah. Trippy Red, Lil like, Uzi Vert, a like, like, like emo, lots like, of emo stuff. Like Scotty's, emo, sort of, Scotty's like, got like the um, emo influence. I've the got Tony, some more. The Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4 yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. It's a big influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we kind of like had, a, I guess, a way of, we, we kind of, the consensus was it was going to be like a post-punky kind of EP. But, you know, melodically we draw influence, like I was saying, from trap, from mm-hmm. random R&B, from, you know, dance music and all, yeah. all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, yeah, anything like with a gothic sort of edge as well, I guess. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even amongst those who weren't forced to listen to 80s music as a child, and no. I think we're all in that company here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it does feel like there has been a sort of resurgence of interest in not just 80s music, but 80s film. I'm thinking of things like Stranger Things, obviously sending Kate Bush back to number one. And I mm-hmm. recently came across a playlist Amazing. on Spotify called Sounds Like the 80s, But It's New. Yeah. Um, I noticed on your yeah. band camp so that you surely guys... Surely get us in, involved yeah. in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I noticed that on your band camp, you guys are also selling glittery cassette tapes. Yeah. How, what do you think of the whole resurgence in 80s interest? I mean, yeah, I feel like you've got good, a good answer for that, talking about how, like, the past becomes cool and, you know, eventually, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, I feel like the past works in, like, 20-year trajectories and, like, the 80s is, like, 40 years away. Okay. So it's kind of like we're obsessed with, like, the early 2000s. If you haven't noticed, like, everybody's obsessed with that. And then you go back another 20 years and we're obsessed with the 80s. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then as we, like, go towards, like, 2030, mm. we'll become obsessed with, like, you know, the 90s. I mean, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Maybe 2040, people will be listening back to high school and <laughs> re- revisiting it. And, they, you know, yeah, I feel like it's it, it, interesting and important to you know be able to like listen to music from the past even though we weren't alive obviously when it was created and kind of rework that into what we do but um yeah the 80s are sick so yeah do you think there's also a sense of escapism in it in that nostalgia in looking back gives you a way to kind of escape things that are happening right now well i think humans can only look back like we can't look into the future so we really can only look at the present and then the past, you know. So it's kind of like we don't have anything else to, like, look at. Yeah, yeah. I think nostalgia is definitely a big thing. I mean, kind of accidentally, but we the, the nostalgia sort of term gets thrown out a lot when people listen to our music, um, which is super positive. Like, I, I like the yeah, fact that yeah. if, if, if we can, like, evoke some memory for someone i think we had like a guy come up to us after a gig the other day he's like man like i listened to your set and it reminded me of like when i was in school in the 80s and it just made me so happy and i'm like that, that's a massive kind of thing you know like to be able to hear someone say that is awesome so but yeah. the visuals are just as important for you guys in, in that but on stage you guys are wearing almost uniform-esque get-up yeah. and i noticed the music video for jerry is shot like it's a one take yeah yeah it is one take yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um it seems like your approach is that the music is kind of part of an artistic whole. Definitely. Do you see the music as the sort of start point, the end point, or part of something bigger that you want to go on and make? No, it, it, no. I think like everything surrounding the music is of equally artistic value as the music itself. Mm. I feel like when we were in Melbourne, we were spending so much time on the visuals and kind of like kind of pulling this sort of look together. 
And since we've been here, we've just like purely focused on songwriting or writing a record at the moment. And we kind of have taken the, the, the sort of visual aspects have sort of taken a backseat. But um, yeah, I think people get equally ob- as obsessed with how the band look and, and, and whatnot as they do the, the sound of the music. Yeah. And it, if, if you got, if you know, you, you listen to my favorite bands I listen to, I'm yeah, super interested in what they look like as well as just mm-hmm. the track, you know, so. You yeah. mentioned that you took that unanimous decision to move from Australia to London last mm. year. Yeah. Why was that? Well, I guess the people we were working with here, like we kind of released a couple of singles and then we got in touch with Rich Walker, who sort of started managing us. And then we went on to sort of start working with BRM. They do our publishing and they kind of, yeah, suggested that it would be a good idea to kind of move here, do the festival yeah. circuit, start trying to build more of an audience here. And I think the, the general consensus was the sound sort of lent itself to an English market and a European market. Yeah, and yeah. we were just kind of bored in Melbourne. We we're like, yeah. okay, you know. Yeah, it was just like all, all our team was here, and also yeah. all our fans were here. So it was just like a natural move. Yeah, mm. definitely. I didn't realize this, but Melbourne used to be the live music capital of the world, hosting something like sixty-two thousand live events every single year. How yeah, do you yeah, find yeah. that the Melbourne and the London music scenes compare? It's a good question. Well, I think everything post Big Day Out. I don't know if you know Big Day Out has been trash in Melbourne. Really, I don't, I'm not. I'm, not I'm, a, I'm a big Melbourne lover. I'm not going to move from Melbourne and like start hating on it. But I feel like, yeah, the Big Day Out was this like brilliant festival that happened um, around Australia. At, like maybe up till about 2012, and just like hosted like the most insane lineups and stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Since then, I feel like it's kind of different yeah, I don't know. Melbourne, Melbourne's music scene is really good yeah. and um, it's like maybe the gig scene is a lot more makeshift you know like it's much easier to get a gig and a lot more like gigs happen in a more like piecemeal kind of way you yeah. know there's probably like more places to play as an amateur in Melbourne mm. um, and it's more makeshift but London is just so enormous and you guys like yeah yeah no, London probably has like more things going on, you know, mm. just due to like population size. Mm. Mm. Yeah, London's sick. <laughs> <laughs> so, your first gig was in London. How are you finding Margate? Have you had a chance to visit? Love it. Love Margate. <laughs> yeah, we um, once. We're staying at Henry Young's house. Big shout out. Thanks, Henry. He's, he's yeah. put us up. We met, we met him at our first gig in Margate about four months ago at Elsewhere. He was playing a after-party DJ set. I'm pretty sure he was just yeah. on it. I think it was just an AUX yeah, in Spotify, yeah. realistically. But um, yeah, no, we love Margate. It's it's great. It's nice. yeah, yeah. Well, we were gutted because we've had a chance to walk around today and we've spotted the Crab Museum, but it's yeah. only open on a Saturday and Sunday. It turns out it's Europe's only and largest museum dedicated to crabs. Whoa, crab Museum. Yeah. So tomorrow is Saturday. Yeah. Tomorrow yeah, is yeah, Saturday. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, kidding, I love a crab. And our final question for you then. Mm. Of all the things you can do today at Dreamland, there's a roller disco, there's an amusement park. We've noticed that you can get slushies in every single colour. What's your favourite slushy colour slash combination? What would you oh, go Oh, I for? thought you were going to ask, what, are we, what ride are we going to go on? So I had <laughs> also, a good answer for that. But also, what ride are you Slushy colour, I'm talking cherry, personally. <laughs> what about you? Dude, I'm thinking rainbow. All rainbow, slushy colours yeah, yeah. together. But in terms of rides, we were going to, hopefully, if they're just running, we wanted to get a press pick on the ghost train. <laughs> yeah. 
Because that felt like our vibe, you know, mm. like a little ghoul popping out behind us. Yeah, is that, is that running, that ghost train? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I feel like you've got to get back in the school uniform yeah. though, oh, and sit oh, very stoic no, and face 100%. in the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. no, yeah, so I think it'll be it'll be like a cherry um, slush puppy for me on the ghost train after, <laughs> after this interview, I think. Amazing. Thank you both so much. No worries. Thank you. Before we move on, a reminder, you can get The Culture Bunker and all our shows early and without adverts when you support The Bunker on Patreon. That means daily episodes in politics, science, pop culture and much more, plus all manner of exciting merchandise and special shows just for you. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. And now let's go back to Andrew and Sean, our field reporters, quite literally in a field, with a potted review of their second day at Glastonbury. Well, hello, it's 24 hours later. We're still at the Glastonbury Festival. Uh, we're now in the backstage area, which is full of the... There you go. There's not cool, man. The man haven't had a wheel of fence behind us. Anyway, we're still here in the backstage area, uh, me and Sean, and also we've got a very special guest. It took a lot of wrangling to get him on board, talk to his PRs. It's the news editor of Mojo Magazine, Ian Harrison. Hello. Hello. Sean, have you been having a good day? Yeah, it's been great today. I really enjoyed it. It's a really nice, warm evening, isn't it? It's not the evening yet. Well, it's what time is it? It's quarter past. It's Don't late, so late afternoon. Yes. We've still got a lot left. Yeah, we've yeah. got a lot left to do. So, what have been the main takeaways of today? We started the day with something quite remarkable, didn't we? We did indeed. We saw uh, Kikagaku Moyo, a uh, Japanese group. And I have to be honest with you, I did not know a great deal about them. But somebody yeah. said, you've got to go and see them. They're great. And they were. And it was an, an added specialness was added because it's their last British show ever. And they're, they're, they are disbanding. They're going to play a couple so of dates in Europe. Because like? I'm really annoyed. I missed it. They sound like yeah. um, the, 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 there is the sort of the, the wildly soloing sort of you know stripy pants, you know hippie underground ethic. Yeah. But also bits where they sound very mellifluous, like sort of you know an, an instrumental guitar group. You know, very melodic as well. But again, you're kind of on sh- very shifting ground constantly, yeah. mm. but in a very good way. Uh, the group are all um, you know clearly playing together. Yeah. Um, they look great. The mm. main guitarist looks like Japanese Dave Grohl. <laughs> the bass player looks like Japanese Fergal Sharkey. They've got an electric sitar player. Wow. Behind them, they've got visuals which are like an unfolding fungal brain universe. Yeah, yeah. Appearing in purple. Damn that they're never playing again. I know, I don't know, know. why you're yeah, split, split up. You're only getting <laughs> yeah. started. Come out with I know, you. I know. <laughs> no, seriously, I know that they're going to play a couple of European dates. I'm yeah. just feeling like I might even go to them because I yeah. enjoyed it so yeah. much. Crazy. That just might be the this. lunacy of the day. Yeah. My favourite bit was in the middle of this kind of clattering uh, cyclonic rock maelstrom where everything's been played in 12, 12 13 time mm. you know and, <laughs> yes. and pi r squared time yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. key change key change key yeah, change key yeah. change keys you've never even heard of uh, they negative su- chords yes yeah. yeah negative chords they suddenly started basically playing um, take five yeah, they did they play take five yeah. <laughs> well, well in a wild yeah. 1972 or is it the year 3000 Japanese yeah. this sounds rock. like the most Glastonbury I, oh that's tremendous fun I'm, yeah. not, I'm not lying it's one of the yeah. best things I've seen they were really really great <laughs> And you missed it because you were doing what? My it, phone had no battery in, so I didn't know where you were. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. ran down. So that was good. What yeah. else have we seen today? Well, we saw, so then we saw Gabriel's, oh, didn't wow, we? Oh, wow, they were Gabriel's. amazing. Oh, I had my no God. idea about Gabriel's. So that was fantastic. Tell the listeners who Gabriel's Well, are. I know very little because I have only discovered this fantastic it's, band. Isn't that great? You know, I, I'm, I'm less believe that the, 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 the singer whose name escapes me, I do apologise, I think he might have won an American talent show. Yes. Don't hold it against him. Yeah. He has got tremendous... Uh, he's got pipes. He's got the most amazing pipes. He's got pipes on pipes. He is an intense channel 
channeler of all emotions. Yeah. And he and he, he looks smart on stage. Also, and he came on wearing not just a full tuxedo <laughs> yes. with bow tie, but also a kind of graduation day cape. Yeah. Uh, where it looked like he was about to inaugurate the new year for Hufflepuff or something. Um, and. Yeah, he struck, I mean, older listeners, of which we don't have any, <laughs> will remember Sir Harry Bowen of Was Not Was Fame, yeah, a little yeah, bit like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This guy's got range that you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And we ping pong from gospel to slowies to testifying soul. Yeah. To super, super Philly soul as well. Philly Modern soul. Philly soul, which I yeah. hadn't heard yeah, yeah, yeah. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely house. glorious. And house, 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 yeah, with a great yeah. big smile in the background. And yeah. honestly, he was going, also, he converted us all to the church of Glastonbury. Glastonbury. Glastonbury Missionary Baptist Church. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're all in now. So we all have to turn to our neighbours and say, I love you, you're important to me. Some of us didn't do that because we're too cynical. I didn't. Yeah, but you were next to your brothers. No, I didn't. Someone else, he was some guy going to you. Uh, that was just wonderful. Uh, what else have we done? We've just seen self-esteem, haven't yes, we? Yes. And she was clearly having a moment, wasn't she? Absolute moment, and it was totally, totally packed to the point Rampton where there's so many people outside the tent. She should have got a bigger tent. They should she have given her one. That was. You know how the annoying thing when people say it's empowering. Well, I felt I had some power already, but yeah, maybe I've got a little bit extra. I yeah. slightly teary to I do this all the time, the finale, because sure. I do really do love. Her. Also, as a presentation level, Sean, you notice this is an emerging theme of the festival. <laughs> of course. Um, so we had Confidence Man, who we mentioned yesterday, who had these Jean-Paul Gaultier boobs, kind of Janet did, very, very yes. pointy and spiky, perhaps more so. And we had Self Esteem today, who had. Plastic boobs, yes. extra yeah. ones. Plasty um, boobs. Yeah, plasty boobs. Plasty yeah. We, we, and it, it she reminded me of Janet Jackson, I was telling you yeah. at the time. There was something of that thing of, fuck you, I'm going to just do I what I want. And it's pop stormers. Absolute yes. magic. And what was so nice was to see young kids and young girls yeah. singing all the lyrics back to her. Yeah. There's such yeah. an adoration. What I really like about her is she's connected with people just almost magically yes. so there's a really strong bond between audience and performer yes. but at Glastonbury that's what yeah. you want to see it was very good I wish you could have yeah. got in although we have to ask then who will be the third wearer of the boobs and will it be yes, Tony Christie expecting it might it. be Tony Christie I'm, I'm going to go see him I'll, I'll let you know if, it, if he does <laughs> will it be Lord Macca it might be yeah. it might be he might have three just to be you know <laughs> one, one louder yeah. um, um, she was great and you, you were saying that she was kind of like articulating something that had not been properly articulated in Glastonbury before weren't you I was indeed. Yes. What exactly did I say? We just talked about the you, mental health of Janet Jackson. The mental health Janet Jackson. It's mainly what yeah, we were yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, but she does that, and it's that wonderful thing of she's really fuck you, but she's also really I fucked up as well. I hate to use the word vulnerable, um, but she's so honest. And as I say, what's so nice is to see it connect. People really get it, yeah. and girls really, really love her. And yeah. it works in a place like this. It's yeah. not just psychedelic Japanese. Yeah, we've, we've, we've no. missed loads of the things that you're supposed to see. Oh, we? I, I didn't see, see Eve, Eve two more. I wanted to see. We missed mm. that because it's just too far away to get it there is, in time. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, I would like yeah. to have seen uh, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Apparently, yeah. they were storming. Apparently, they were really good when they were doing. Somebody was doing Jimmy Page on so the violin. That's why I want to know because I, I, I might skip Macca. I think I've got to see it. Really? Yeah, There's a moment. You I think, think it's going to be. Yes. So tonight, Macca, uh, yeah. we've got to try and do a bit of block nine. Aren't I we? think Tony Christie as well would be good. I think he might be quite good. We're going to revisit things tomorrow morning yeah. uh, in a, a bit about Macca uh, so we can just assess the whole thing, uh, which you'll be hearing immediately after this bit. Um, but what else is, is, is up for this evening? I, mean, I, I think uh, Russian Murphy has got a bit of a tough deal because she's up against Paul McCartney. And I know that they're not in, in the same uh, wheel park. Yeah. Well, Megan the Stallion is also on. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see any Megan the Stallion fans going. Well, we should say, though, that TLC has been the most popular, liked... Oh. 
Uh, was it on the Twitter or on the yeah. app? I mean, TLC just drew a massive, I'm massive... I'm furious at missing this. And yes, me too. there was the greatest moment ever of audience participation, which is a young lady from the crowd just climbed up on one of these extremely very, very high flagpoles mm. and did a fully professional pole dance routine at the top of it. <laughs> she was upside down. Upside down. Inside out. Just like Diana Ross. Yeah. She, was, she, she did the full yeah. deal. And That's people amazing. were stupefied and amazed skills so this is the great thing about Glastonbury breaks down the barrier between artist and audience the fourth wall do you get it being broken there yeah yeah there's a fifth wall somewhere that's rumbling as well it's going to go it's It's going to go go. we're going to fall through it and really going to start kicking (laughs) off so I mean okay it's it's halfway through it's Saturday how are we going to assess Glastonbury 2022 do we think oh god it was going to be we're going to assess it it was so brilliant (laughs) there you go it is it's like we're going to forget about it being cold in the tent people nicking your Stuff. It no one has taken any stuff. My tent is actually quite horrible and squalid and right. uncomfortable, but I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we've run into a few people who are like, oh, I'm staying offside actually in the stately home. It's like, no, you're not doing Glastonbury then, are you? No. If you're in proper. a stately home, yeah. you're at, what you're doing at the weekend is going to a stately home. I also now think that pe- about people who've had showers. I hope you too. It's like, why are you doing Glastonbury and having a shower? You're not meant to. You've I have got an, to I have another shower. Good. I forgot I my towel. <laughs> yeah. I was going to try and say. get one in. Yeah. But, um, yeah. As we all know, after a few days, you become waterproof. So it's a good idea. <laughs> yes. well, you okay. clean yourself. Thank, thank <laughs> you, Bob. You do. Um, Bob Gelbuff always used to say he doesn't wash his hair because it takes care of itself after a while. It does, it does. You can mould it into the shapes that you want if it's really uh, manky. I'm I'm glad to have any at all, whatever shape it might be in. So listeners at home, by the time you hear this, the festival will be over, but we'll be back with you uh, in a few moments in the distant future talking about Macca on Saturday night. And, um, yeah, whose round is it? Um, Mine. Is it yours? Yes, it's yours. yours. We've done his podcast. He owes us a drink. (laughs) certainly does. Okay. Back to you in the studio. Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome back to part three of the Glastonbury Odyssey. Uh, Sean is leading this one, I believe, because Andrew Harrison cannot speak very well. What have you been doing all night, Andrew? I've been doing a lot of shows against us, the environment, and I think it uh, may have destroyed my podcasting career. <laughs> I, I sound like Joe Pasquale, for a change. Never mind, but have you had fun? I've had tremendous fun. First, Who was good yesterday, then? Well, today, yesterday, the, the avalanches... I think the Avalanche is the great Australian DJ outfit. I think it's one of the best things I've ever seen anywhere, never mind at Glaston. Mm. They did the whole thing based on their album, which we talked about a lot when this podcast was called Big Mouth, which is called We Will Always Love You. And it's about the sending into space of human information and mm. how it means that everyone you love that, that has gone has not gone. And it, honestly, it really got me. It was just quite Wasn't incredible. it fantastic? Beautiful. Absolutely, yeah. That's I think maybe the highlight, but definitely one of the highlights of yesterday <laughs> and the weekend. Yeah. Yes, and then we have to got Macca, don't we? We have Macca. to. Now you didn't enjoy Macca, did you? I didn't enjoy Macca, and I know a lot of people did seem to drift away because he wasn't playing the hits for the first hour, mm. and um, that is a problem if you're Paul McCartney. But then, who does he invite on as a special guest? Oh, hello, it's Dave Grohl. Oh, hello, it's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> oh, hello, it's Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> And incredible Hulk. Yeah, yeah. and a panda. And a yeah, panda. yeah. I mean, he had it all, and so it, it did actually sort of rescue it. I think in the second half, he did. It did then sort of come together and be really rather exciting and an experience, some of that. But yeah, I, I do think he could have done, you know, made a bit more of an effort. I, I, he made you work for it because the yeah. first half was a lot of his a song I wrote about my wife, and he was oh god, yes, there, yes. Were, there were some shouts around us of play one we know, really. yeah, yeah. Um, so, but then you know the, the, the finale is just you know Tay Jude yeah. and uh, you know 
Beatles bangers and Live and Let Die with Fireworks. And yes. but the, my favourite bit because I mean I'm not you know I, I am Beatles Beatle agnostic. Mm. They're not they're not you know they're not the, stu the stuff of my existence the way they are with some people. But I was amazed that he played Helter Skelter as the yes, top. yes, the crazy Manson inspiring yeah that was a bit of incipient alt rock madness of yeah, Helter Skelter yeah. it's like. Yeah, this is great. We should start it with this. This is, really what, this is really what I put a line in the sand yeah. and put a peg on the board and told people where you're at. Yes, he wasn't doing avant-garde Paul till that point, was he? He wasn't doing avant-garde Paul. Um, I, I like art Paul. Art Paul is, is the best. Yes. So um, what do we see afterwards? So obviously Glastonbury is a, an enormous field filled with, it seems, raves yes. and dance tents and all sorts of things going on. Yes, I just I wandered uh, mindlessly uh, from mm. rave to rave. And it's, just, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to pin down really uh, but the, the kind of huge uh, and obviously you, you group splinters as well and you yes. lose people yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know the kind of the, the vastness of it now is such that I, mean, I used to get really wound up about missing things oh god I've missed this mm. I've missed that mm. and now you've just got to accept that you know if you had a time machine and could come back yeah. every Friday infinitely yes. still couldn't see it all <laughs> absolutely so because I wandered off home I thought no oh, I'll get some sleep home being the tent, the tent. Um, then I saw some acid house <laughs> I heard it first yeah. I just thought this sounds brilliant it was a really really small tent so I just went and danced for an hour okay. <laughs> it was really really good and it's one of those things where Glastonbury is just absolutely unique in that most atmosphere, atmospheres feel really safe it's really lovely people <coughs> who are just wanting to yeah. have loads and loads of fun yeah. in the field yeah you've turned into a hippie what would it be like if people were nice discuss <laughs> oh, <stop it. laughs> so yeah. anyway we, yeah. should, we should wrap up now and let, and let people get back to whatever they're doing on, yes. in the, on their square Sunday in the square real world man but uh, we, uh, people may have noticed a slight change in the audio uh, here why is that Sean <laughs> we are in a luxury yurt it's not ours we've, we've blagged entry to a luxury yeah, yurt yeah for 10 We're minutes living in a yurt <laughs> living in a cardboard yurt yeah so. everybody yurts everybody yurts anyway we're signing off now we are this is Planet Yurt <laughs> Sean and Andrew sending you back to the studio and with that, we're at the end of the podcast. But since there are two of us here and we also have the fabulous Linda Marrick at hand, let's do a mini closing time chatter. What we'll be recommending to our smelly comrades <laughs> as we queue for an hour to use a chemical toilet. Linda, anything in the cinemas we might have missed? Um, yeah, actually, there is. a And an usually, I'm going to talk about a sort of a B-movie, sort of horror movie starring Ethan Hawke, which I really liked. It's one of those uh, Bloomhouse horrors that, um, I mean, they seem to be churning them out every five minutes. But I really like this because it's set in a kind of, in the in sort of late 70s, early 80s. And it almost embodies what those films that were released, horror films that were released around that time, feel like. And I think I really liked it. I, I and it's only I think it's only been released in cinema. It's not in, available anywhere on online. And uh, I think it's very brave to release sort of <laughs> such a small movie in, in the cinema when there are so many horrors being released every single day um, for streamings. But I, I really liked it. So it's sort of. It feels almost like a, 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 a sort of film um, based on a true story, but it, it isn't. It's one of those Bloomhouse sort of concocted uh, from different mm. uh, ideas. Mm. It, it's, uh, it's directed by Doc Derrick, Scott Derrickson, and it stars uh, Ethan Hawke and uh, Mason Thames, uh, James Ransone and Gina John. And uh, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say to you about it. And I, I, I really Lovely. liked it. I think it's a fantastic movie. Go see it if you can. Yelena, how about you? 
I've been continuing on my travels, I suppose, and I've been absolutely binging a series of YouTube videos about Towards a Concrete Utopia, which was a MoMA exhibition in 2018 about modernist architecture in Yugoslavia. This is relevant, I promise. <laughs> Last week, there was really harrowing news about Spomenik, which is a World War II war memorial that was attacked in Bosnia and basically covered with fascist graffiti and a real reminder of how alive that conflict remains. And these fantastic exhibitions like the MoMA one really do a lot to show how important art was during the socialist period and how exciting it was more than anything as well. So yeah, some fantastic videos that I've been renewing my interest in. And given that I'm hopefully off to the Balkans at the end of July for a two-year COVID postponed trip, it feels very, very overdue. So that's what I've been indulging in this week. Very good. And Alex, what about you? So I'm going to go I'm going to go high and low. So I would uh, suggest for anyone who wants the outdoor festival atmosphere but is more inclined towards the classical there is a really really interesting double bill at the Opera Holland Park which is uh, uh, putting on a production of Levilli by Puccini which is Puccini's very first opera it's a little one act delight a very short opera and it's usually paired with something else and on this occasion it's paired with Delius's Margot La Rouge, which is a very unusual, might seem a very unusual pairing to, to uh, sort of put a, a British composer in there with Puccini. But Margot La Rouge was an opera that Delius submitted to the Verismo competition by Puccini's publisher, Santonio, eight years after Levilli. So it was Delius's attempt to enter this very, very Italian arena, largely unsuccessful, I should say. But it's a really, really interesting double bill, and it's on at uh, Opera Holland Park throughout uh, July and August. So I, I'd, I'd recommend it quite highly. And then on the low side, I've been watching Miss Marvel, on Disney Plus. And I know I've read all the reviews. I can see quite clearly that that it's targeted directly at a sort of female teen audience. And maybe that says something about my psyche, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite recent Marvel things. So I would I would recommend that quite highly. And that's The Culture Bunker. Thanks for listening to this special Outward Bound edition. It's business as usual when we return this time next week. From Yelena, Sean, Andrew, Linda, our hardworking producer Jade, and from me, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. The Culture Bunker was written and presented by Alexandreou and Yelena Sofronievich with Andrew Harrison and Sean Pattenden. The group editor was also Andrew Harrison, and the producers were Yelena Sofronievich and me, Jay Bailey, who's not at all jealous that she's not at Glastonbury. And The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>